Welcome, welcome listeners, and thank you for choosing to join me for the fourth edition of Functionally Speaking, a podcast more adequate to the challenge of the human condition. I appreciate you joining me for this, and before we go any further, I must play the informed consent disclaimer. Material presented and opinions expressed on this website and these podcasts here on are simply those of the individual participants that do not represent the profession of psychology or represent expert advice. They do not speak for acceptance and commitment therapy or any other therapy in general. These materials are for entertainment purposes, for professionals interested in modern cognitive behavior therapy and behavioral analysis. This information is no substitute for reading primary sources and gaining supervised therapy experience from a professional. Listen at your own risk. Thanks a lot, Steve Baker. I had one of the greatest professional experiences uh, of my life last week. I got to go to work, and there was a large, heavy box waiting at my doorstep. Um, I brought it inside my office, opened it up, and inside the box was 10 copies of my new book entitled Act in Practice. Patty Bach and I wrote a prospectus for this book right before the ACT Summer Institute in Philadelphia a few years ago. And there it was, finally in print and in my hand. It was a great experience and something I'm very proud of and fortunate to have had the experience to write this book, to have been able to work with Patty, um, and also to have a book published with New Harbinger. Um, The book is about case conceptualization in ACT, and it really came from uh, an aim to get ACT usable by as many people as possible. I've heard the criticism uh, for over a decade now that ACT is too difficult to learn. I've heard this criticism too many times, and I really wanted to make sure that this book was readable, that it was enjoyable. I wanted to make sure that uh, Patty and I made it fun to read. Uh, and interesting and very informative to folks. And the feedback so far uh, has let me know that Patty and I uh, were able to accomplish this. Um, So check it out if you get a chance. Um, It's late April 2008 here in Chicagoland, and Patty and Emily and I are gearing up for the ACT Summer Institute number 4. It's about a month away, and it promises to be a fun-filled and informative convention. And uh, we hope to see you there. At ACT... SI last year, I met up with two gentlemen, Chad Drake and Aki Masuda, and I had a chance to interview both of them about their research. So let's hear from Chad first. Hi, this is DJ Moran on the last day of the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Summer Institute 2007, and I'm here with Chad Drake. Chad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're working? Sure. Uh, Well, uh, the last six years, I've been a graduate student at the University of Mississippi, I've been working with uh, Kelly Wilson for the last five years. Uh, This summer, I moved up to Maine to begin my internship, which is at the uh, VA in Togus. You'll be working with Kevin Polk? That's right. That should be pretty neat and really interesting for you. What I'd like to do uh, is find out a little bit about the research that you're doing now. Uh, Well, I've done a variety of things, but... For the most part, I've been uh, investigating uh, behavioral tasks, these uh, computerized tasks that we use to investigate uh, derived relational responding. Is this the uh, infamous IRAP? (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's one of the procedures we've used, the Implicit Relational Assessment Procedure. And uh, tell us just a little bit about the uh, IRAP. 
Well, without uh, uh, boring your, your listeners to death, I, I would just say that it's basically a sorting task where you see words on the screen and you have to sort of sort them out as quickly and accurately as you can. And what we look for is differences in speed and accuracy in your performance. Do you think that uh, something like that could be used for a psychological assessment? Well, uh, a lot of my research has been uh, basically uh, an investigation in that possibility. Um, and what we were hoping for is that, it, that the IRAP could prove to be a measure of psychological flexibility that you could administer to, to individual clients and, and sort of track their progress over time. I understand that... Um more research is involved in this kind of thing, but do you at least foresee, do you kind of you know, guess uh, in the future that something like the IRAP could be used uh, with feedback in order to do treatment? Yeah, I think it has potential. Uh, I think uh, it'd be, we'd be getting ahead of the data to say with certainty that it would be. Um, we've got a lot more studies to conduct on this and a lot more questions to answer about it. Um, but we try to be optimistic and uh, you know, keep doing the research. All right. I appreciate your time. Thanks. If you get a chance, I would highly recommend checking out um, any kind of introduction to the IRAP uh, at the Act Summer Institute, especially if Chad's giving it. Very knowledgeable guy when it comes to the implicit relational assessment procedure. Um, and I think it's got some promise, not only for research, it's, it's really kind of been a, an interesting thing to watch the IRAP develop uh, as a research tool. But I, I do think the future uh, will see um, IRAP-type um, assessments being able to help us out um, with behavioral assessment and seeing what kind of uh, proclivities folks might have um, in what they're interested in and uh, what kind of... Uh, quote-unquote pathologies they might uh, be struggling with. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the future of the IRAP. What we've got up next is my interview with Aki Masuda, and I, uh, I introduce it during the interview, so I'll just put that up next. This is DJ Moran, and I'm here with Aki Masuda at the ACT Summer Institute 3 in Houston, and it's getting close to the end of the week, and I wanted to get a chance to talk to Aki about his dissertation. Um, he's examining stigma from an ACT uh, perspective, and I'm just going to have you uh, give us a little bit of uh, background and some information about your research, please, Aki. Okay. So like, my name is Aki Masuda, and uh, I'm a, one of the former students of Steve Hayes. So what he kind of taught me the most is that uh, we are not really doing research for the sake of research. We are not really doing the research for the sake of, uh, I mean, like doing the practice not for the sake of, like, you know, being a therapist. It's more like a bigger pictures. So I was very curious about kind of issue of stigma and the stereotype. Given my cultural background as a Japanese coming to the United States and kind of come across some kind of issues, and I'm also do you know doing a lot of work in clinical psychology, and then come across the issue of the kind of stigma toward people with psychiatric disorders. You know how we can actually change it because uh, when I started the program, that's sort of one of the hot topics. And then I was thinking, so how this like uh, acceptance kind of idea fit to the issue of stigma? 
And uh, at that time, like a lot of the stigma kind of research say that uh, stigma is bad. So we have to get rid of it, right? Uh, or you try to replace that the more informed, accurate information with that the kind of, st I mean, you're gonna actually teach the people have accurate information so that those kind of stigmatized idea is gone. But uh, a lot of, often time, it's not happen like that. People kind of continue to have it, and then as you try to get rid of it, you kind of have it. And then, um, so it's a kind of very tricky issue, so how the acceptance kind of perspective kind of fit in. And okay, so you're trying to say that a lot of the stigma research and maybe even the stigma interventions uh, invite the client to get rid of or eradicate their prejudice or their bias or the stigmas that they hold. And what did um, your approach or kind of the, the way that you decided to deal with stigma, how, how did that come about and, and what happened with that? Okay, so that the, I'm kind of, you know, there's so many kind of kind of stigma, you know, stigma of which person toward the food. And then the, my interest is that the general public's stigmatizing attitude toward people with so-called psychological disorders. And then uh, from general public perspective, everybody knows that stigma is kind of bad. And uh, they, they try to, at least they got a sense that they shouldn't really have that kind of thought. Everybody's kind of equal. And, and then, uh, but the act's sort of kind of suggesting that uh, even like, you know, the like stigmatizing thought often considered kind of unacceptable paradox, you know, thought. Uh, we cannot really get rid of them. And so, in a way, so how do we sort of kind of live with those kind of stigmatizing sort of thought? And then also, I'm more interested in that, the, why are we doing the stigma intervention to begin with? You know, are we trying to, so what I was going to say is that, are we doing this for the sake of just simply get rid of the stigmatized? I don't think it's not the case. It's more like kind of communicating with other persons in a kind of meaningful way, you know, having more kind of vital life, not as an individual kind of, kind of society in general. So this is sort of kind of front end. And then uh, it seems like stigmatizing thought is conceptualized kind of roadblock that keep us from, and then idea try to make it go away. But the ACT movement is that, okay, we, we cannot really get rid of those, uh, those things, so can we really kind of coexist? Having those kind of stigmatizing thought, but still having that, that vital life by connecting with other people, and then uh, a lot of us sort of can experience that during this one week kind of work shop, like a summer institute, right? And how we approach to it, it's kind of pretty much basically like a like workshop kind of technique I use. So you're saying you invite the clients or um, the people who are consuming the intervention to just notice that they have these types of prejudices because they're hard to get rid of. Um, verbal behavior is, you know, very difficult just to eradicate. And a lot of times you're going to come across somebody from a different culture. You're going to have certain types of thoughts. And uh, trying to get rid of them isn't going to work, but you can still act in a valued, humanistic, vital uh, stance even in the face of those types of things. Exactly. So that the, I sort of going to make in a parallel between 
you know, between the, the stigmatizing attitude toward other people and then the sort of, kind of self-stigma, you know. So when you have kind of something negative, you try to kind of defend yourself, suppressing the thought, pushing those kind of thought away. What's going to happen is that you sort of kind of making a shield inside you, in a way. This shield, in, in a way, kind of helpful, but the, in a way, imprison you. And then first, I kind of ask the participant notice that kind of experience, and then I ask participants so. Do you know something similar happening like when we actually having a negative attitude, pushing the people away in the name of kind of mental illness? You know, it's a kind of funny, you know. So I try to kind of bridge some sort of kind of empathy or from that the person's personal experience, that kind of self-acceptance kind of thing, try to like generalize to the people oftentimes consider as uh, mentally ill or people kind of weak, you know, dislike. So that's actually my purpose. Can I ask you another thing that I think that uh, you've been working on, and that is acceptance and commitment therapy outside of the United States. Um, I know that's something that you have been uh, looking at and investigating, and uh, I'd like to have you describe, you know, um, your thoughts about that. I mean, it's quite interesting because the the first thing hit me the big time is that when I was asked to write the act book or doing the act therapy in Japanese so initial idea is that yeah I just can do the act the way I do my American clients here or I can write the act paper just simply translate from English to Japanese so in terms of doing the act therapy I kind of came across that, oh my God, I don't really know how to say those kind of simple phrases such like, I'm having a thought, da 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 in Japanese. And I also noticed that uh, some particular metaphor is not, gonna, not really having uh, the same impact on the client. So what I was thinking is that, uh, okay, it's not the content of act which is important, it's more like, uh, you know, function we, I have to understand the function of each uh, technique, the method. And so if I do that, you know, my kind of way I'm working with client is sort of away from like strict adherence to topography of act. So that also kind of thought experience gave me. So what is act if it's not, if act is not about the set of metaphor or experiential exercise? So from this functional sense. Very good. So do you think that the uh, you have some movement towards an act book or an act approach uh, done in Japanese? I mean, at the, actually, I'm the Dr. Muto, uh, his Takashi Muto, he's been uh, working on a, just like writing an act book in Japanese. And then uh, he initially translated uh, acceptance and mindfulness CBT book edited by Steve and then uh, uh, Marshall Lenahan, uh, Victoria Forret. And uh, his experience sort of saying that the literal translation cannot really that the send that the message that, for example, Steve Hayes wants to send to audience. So we have to make it kind of more function or based kind of translation or like, you know, article writings. And then I, 
it's true because I was fortunate enough to write several chapters uh, talking about ACT in Japanese and it's a case. So like we cannot really kind of literally translate what the diffusion or experiential avoidance or some like a te you know stage of like act therapy, the creative hopeless and you know self as a context. You have to kind of use the phrase familiar to Japanese people, which has shared the meaning of what the you know creative hope, for example, creative hopeless mean by Americans or you know at least for act therapists. So those are kind of things I have to keep in mind. Neat. Well, we look forward to seeing what kind of work you produce. Thanks for uh, doing this interview with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Great, great stuff. I mean, Aki is truly expanding the horizons, literally and figuratively, um, of acceptance and commitment therapy. Not only pushing the approach and the stance towards stigma work, taking it outside the general clinically relevant concerns and moving it towards stigma, but also moving it internationally into other cultures, into other countries. Great stuff. Plenty of work like that going on around the, uh, the globe, and you can catch up with it if you check out the Act Summer Institute in Chicago at the end of May 2008. Thanks for joining me. Up next, unrelated to anything and only for fun, I've got a band called I Mother Earth playing a song called Sense of Henry. Enjoy. There they are, alive on the move Pretty young, still unproven In love Restless young zeros in a haze A reckless blind fate taking their own sweet time Their own sweet time To write and write there Summer 